I'm here with James Moirano, under sheriff of McKinley County. That is correct. You are running for the big chair. <laughs> I am. I'm running for sheriff. Yes, ma'am. So as I understand it, the first opportunities for people to vote will be October 11? Uh, that is correct. So early voting starts October the 11th and goes through November 5th, with the general election being on November 8th. So how many years have you been involved in law enforcement? 22 years in law enforcement. I started with the Gallup Police Department back in 2001, and I worked with them for a few years. And then I started with the Sheriff's Office in 2004. And I've been through the various ranks in the Sheriff's Office. I worked on patrol and in DWI, then worked my way up through management. And I've been the undersheriff for the last two sheriffs, Ron Silversmith, who's currently the sheriff and fully endorses me. And I was also the undersheriff for a short time for Felix Tibigay. One of the things I've been impressed by in the general campaign, going back to the campaigning before the primary, et cetera, is that all the candidates seemed to be respectful of each other, and I didn't see a lot of mudslinging or uh, aspersions cast. Yeah, we, we've had a really good group. So um, all the folks that were running for sheriff this time had a history in law enforcement, and some, I think three, were already working in law enforcement. Um, we had one that was retired from law enforcement. So it was a really good group, and I think we've all worked together in one capacity or another over the last many years, um, and it really put together a good a good group of folks that had law enforcement background working together for this particular position. So yeah, you are correct. No mudslinging. Um, our current Republican candidate, which is El Reno Henio, works at the sheriff's office now and is a lieutenant for the sheriff's office, and we work together every day during the week. What are your principal goals um, in your, say, your first term as sheriff? Sure. So uh, we have kind of a unique situation since I'm already the undersheriff there. We've already started a lot of programs. And so what we're looking to do is continue and further those programs. Um, What we've been putting a lot of effort into currently is our internship program, um, trying to motivate our youth between the age 18 to 25 to get into public services, law enforcement, um, to get good career paths in front of them. And so our internship program right now works with uh, both UNM Criminal Justice Program, um, both of our local high schools, and one of the college programs that they have going on, and we try to bring those folks in. And not all of them want to be involved in law enforcement, but gives them an opportunity to work in an office setting, um, to learn about customer service, to learn how to show up to work on time, how to dress in a work environment, and then hopefully it gives them an opportunity to learn about what law enforcement does in all of its different facets and maybe interest them in a career in their future. Uh, Also, as well with the school project, um, we've been going to our Gallup-McKinley County schools and talking with the students about drug and alcohol issues. We've been taking our canines to the schools and uh, sweeping the schools for drug-related issues like marijuana and vape pens and other issues that the schools are having. And we also, I, I also teach active shooter response for um, the Gallup-McKinley County School District, uh, our Bureau of Indian Education schools that are located in McKinley County. And it sounds like we may have an opportunity to teach for UNM here in the upcoming future as well. Let me just um, take just a moment to touch upon uh, this subject because it, it is on the minds of parents, teachers, obviously with the recent shootings in Uvalde and the issues with uh, response to that. I wonder if you've had any thoughts coming out of that particular episode. Of the Uvalde incident? 
So since the after-action report hasn't been released by the FBI yet, and I haven't had a chance to review it, um, normally when we teach these classes, we try to pull FBI data so that we can get accurate information versus what may have been published by the news that may be incorrect or, or correct. We're just waiting on that. But um, we know in McKinley County, we already teach that our response to active shooter situations or active shooter threats is that the first officer that arrives on scene, first deputy that arrives on scene, they're going in. Um, we don't wait for the SWAT team. We don't wait for five or six guys to show up. We know that it's rapidly evolving in a dynamic situation that needs to be handled immediately. And so we've already trained for several years that first guy that gets there is going to go in. And I know there was some there was some flack there from law enforcement agencies and other places as to how they responded or who they went in or how long they waited to go in. So when we train the schools, we let them know that first guy there is going to go in. We're going to go straight to that threat. We're going to attempt to neutralize that threat. And then the next guys that are coming in are going to assist with that. And then we'll start to pull back and identify, you know, who's been wounded and how we're going to triage it and get the ambulances there. The El Paso um, Walmart shooting uh, was something that inspired our Walmart staff to want to do training. So we just finished training their employees on how to respond because it's very different between a school and... Uh, an open air environment or a public environment like Walmart or the mall. And so it's two very different ways that you handle that situation. In a school, they have the keys and hopefully they have the opportunity to lock the threat out. The other thing that we teach with the schools and our school district is really good about it is what used to be called a shelter in place all the time, that the entire exterior of the building is secured all day long and access is only granted at one point and each visitor is screened before they're allowed into the building. And that seems to be another component of Uvalde as well, that a door propped open or left open could very easily let the bad guy in. And the first thing that you would notice would be a gunshot uh, inside the school. And it's very difficult to react to that quickly. It's a lot easier when you identify that the threat is outside and you begin to work with it outside rather than it's already inside the school. Obviously, there are aspects to the job of law enforcement uh, that encompass danger, encompass risk. Uh, but what are the other aspects of the job that particularly appeal to you? Sure. So you, you bring up a good point. Um, it does take a particular kind of person to want to put a firearm and a bulletproof vest on every morning before you go to work. Um, I think the most important part of law enforcement is community relations, working with our community, making partnerships with our local agencies, partnerships with businesses and schools so that we can work together as a community. You know, the old saying of it takes a village. Um, law enforcement will never have enough staff to completely quash crime altogether. And so it takes partnerships with our um, local agencies, nonprofit agencies, and just community members in general. Because if the public feels comfortable talking to us, we're going to have a good conversation about how we can solve the problems. We don't, we in law enforcement don't have all the answers, but a lot of the people in the community that see those problems have been watching them for a period of time, and they might have some outside-the-box ideas that we haven't thought of. And so I think it's the partnerships that really make it strong. That's, that's what draws me. Um, improving the quality of life in our communities in McKinley County is what really strikes me as the reason that I want to do this. Another, um, I, I think, significant aspect of our community, uh, including McKinley County, Gallup area, Navajo Nation, is that uh, those who are unsheltered or homeless are often having issues with alcohol or drugs or other mitigating circumstances which can truly complicate the situation. Um, 
do you have any overall philosophy with regard to how you deal with uh, individuals, individuals such as this? Sure. So I, I think we all know as a community that we have a serious problem with chronic inebriation and drug abuse. And if you look at the small property crimes and thefts that go on within the, the Gallup City area and McKinley County at, at large, most of those are tied back to alcohol and drug abuse. And so I think that it has a, a three-part a three part, um, solution, if you will, or it's three parts to figure it out. Um, the first thing we have is they have to be held accountable. So regardless of uh, an addiction issue or something else, if a crime is committed, they have to be held accountable. All too often we hear, well, that guy was just drunk. Well, that's not an excuse to commit a crime. So the crime, they have to be held accountable for the crime by either being charged or arrested. And then once we get them into the system, we can work on what the issue is. Does this person want to change their life for the positive? Can we involve family members or some of our nonprofit organizations or rehabilitation centers to create a path for this individual to give them an opportunity to succeed? And not everybody wants to quit what they're doing, um, but there are those who do. So once we've identified that we have an issue, then it needs to be charged and put through the system so we have something to hold them accountable for, and that allows us to get them into other programs. Um, one of the big programs that we do right now is our trustee program. So once they're serving time in jail, uh, we work with the warden to select individuals that would be low-risk individuals. We take them out into the community, so the sheriff's office uh, drives them out to different areas, and we do cleanup projects. Most recently, we filled sandbags for the flooding that was going on in Gallup, so we work with the fire department to do that. That gives us an opportunity to talk with those folks because you figure their first interaction with law enforcement that put them in jail was probably not one that they consider to be positive. So this gives us an opportunity to talk with them. Uh, about what their future looks like. How long are they serving in jail and for what? And what are their plans when they get out? And is there anything we can do to help facilitate that travel out? And then those repeat offenders, that's the third part of it. Those folks who don't want to change, who don't want to do anything about it. Well, those repeat offenses need to um, progressive discipline, if you will. Uh, each time they go in, that, that needs to be more. So if they think that all I'm going to do is eight hours in jail and then I'll be released the next morning, that's not incentive to not do it again. And so we need to work on those sentencing um, issues and try to work with the courts, try to work with our legislatures to make sure that there is a correct punishment for each crime so that it's not being committed again. It's not worth it to commit the crime again. Also in the, the national conversation is the concept of how we approach individuals that have dysfunction, whether mental illness or uh, other aspects of that. And uh, what are your um, philosophies with regard to how we approach individuals that may be more of a danger to themselves than to others? Obviously, in larger urban areas, there have been some unfortunate instances where um, law enforcement response is probably not as effective in those situations as, a, say, a, a, a community or health-oriented uh, facilitator. Right. It, you are correct. Mental illness is a large component of law enforcement and does involve several of the calls that we respond to. Um, currently, what we have going is the, the sheriff's office, actually law law enforcement in New Mexico is required to attend some sort of training on dealing with the mentally impaired. We do it every two years. We attend a four hour class. And part of that class is there's role playing incidents. And I think that's the part that kind of gets law enforcement officers engaged in 
what are we dealing with? What, what are we dealing with with this individual? Have we dealt with this before? Um, is this an individual we've never dealt with before? And how do I identify uh, a mental illness versus, you know, let's say drug use? And sometimes you get a combination of both. So sometimes you'll have drug and alcohol involved in a mental illness situation. So in those trainings, we use uh, role players and we go through scenarios of what kind of questions do we ask? How do we do this? Not buying into whatever the fantasy is that they're trying to or, or that they may be under the influence of. Um, since mental illness is kind of on the rise and are, as we watch kind of those situations in Albuquerque that unfold, thankfully for us here, it seems as though we're having a better time working with this particular group. Um, that we haven't had any incidents that unfolded in, you know, tragedy or, or what have you. But as we deal with mental illness in McKinley County, we know that we have partnerships that we can use and we have things that we can um, refer them to or partnerships that we can refer them to in the event that, that we have them. You are correct, though, uh, to start back at the beginning. Dealing with those particular situations is most difficult at the street level because you don't know what you're dealing with. You get called, you show up. And you have no idea what's going on with that particular individual. And so our guys are trained, our staff is trained to talk those situations through. We don't jump straight to the use of force. We're going to talk that situation through. We're going to identify what's going on and try to mitigate it to the best of our ability. Having more than one person on scene is also helpful. It gives you some accountability with the other guy or gal that's standing right next to you. And you can work through those problems together or contact a supervisor to come through and help you work through that situation. Um, I'm going to bring this up just because um, uh, Officer Henio was interviewed uh, by another KGLP person recently. We haven't aired it yet. We were hoping to pair it with your interview. But um, in the course of that interview, one thing that I noted was that uh, um, uh, Officer Henio was asked about the presence of drug cartels in McKinley County, the Gallup area. And he, he essentially agreed that there probably was some presence. Uh, but how significant that is, I'm not sure. Uh, do you have any ideas with regard to whether uh, that impacts this area? Sure. So um, recently we, we reopened or reestablished our drug enforcement. Um, and it's it's not a full-time thing. It's not a bunch of undercover guys that are out there. But what we did notice and what we know is that with Interstate 40 traveling through, we have large quantities of illegal substances moving on the interstate. And some of those things are destined for Gallup. So in order to get drugs here, they have to be delivered here. And the, the large avenue of delivery is the interstate. So although I believe that there are um, cartel shipments that move along I-40 and our, some of our uh, narcotics enforcement guys have picked up, you know, large quantities of fentanyl, large quantities of methamphetamine moving on the interstate. Some of those packages are destined for us. I don't think that it's cartel activity specifically operating in Gallup, but if it's coming from the cartel, it's being delivered here. So I think it's probably reasonable to assume that some of the product that's being delivered to Gallup to be distributed to our community members may be coming from a cartel connection somewhere down in Mexico and coming up through Arizona. Um, as you know, as we track those individuals and as we work with our partners in um, federal drug enforcement, you know, they're very helpful as to trying to backtrack that. Once we catch it on the interstate, backtracking it to where it came from and trying to give us some information is 
where did that load come from and is it going to continue coming through here while we're still on the subject of of this uh, with regard to cannabis obviously new mexico state has uh, laws in place to allow for uh, legal uh, farming and distribution within the state uh, on the other hand nationally it is still a controlled substance so from your perspective from mckinley county's perspective uh, what are the complications there how are you dealing with the conflicts oh you bring up a really good point on that one so you're absolutely correct um, new mexico legalized recreational use of marijuana within the state of new mexico for those aged 21 and older. And it is still federally illegal. Um, so we're still going to see shipments of large quantity moving through, and that's still um, still unlawful. So we still have to deal with that particular part of it. When we bring it down to the community level, it's caused complications because the educational component of that law hasn't really been pushed out. And so what everyone heard was marijuana is legal. And so now we're dealing with an uptick of marijuana and vape use within our schools. And obviously it's still unlawful for those, those people to do that if they're under the age of 21. And so that's why we've put together and we're building an even larger canine unit that can detect marijuana vape and marijuana products and pushing them into the schools so that we can use that as both an educational component and an enforcement component to say that it is not legal to do over the age of 21. The second part of that that's been really difficult for us is the driving of vehicles and use of marijuana. There hasn't been enough educational material put out there to educate folks. And so, you know, in the, the first debate that we did, we, we kind of made the joke of that, you know, the windows rolled down and smoke rolling out the windows as people are driving. It's not legal to use marijuana and drive. It's the same rule as alcohol. But teaching that has been difficult. You know, all that we saw was it was legalized and it just has got people in the mindset it's just legal to do all the time, wherever, whenever. There's still a lot of jobs in McKinley County that don't allow the use of that. If you're employed there, you know, our office is one of those. So there's that part of it that you have to try to monitor and keep track of. Uh, and then we've got, you know, these folks that haven't looked at the age limits and what the penalties are and how much you're actually allowed to have. You know, the, you can't travel around with large quantities of it in your vehicle. You can't have large quantities of it at home. So I think it's the educational component that we're lacking there, um, regardless of what we believe one way or the other, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, um, it's going to be about education and to get everybody up to speed on what they can legally do and can't legally do, because everybody just heard it's legal. And what you're very diplomatic in not saying is that it's not expressly the responsibility of law enforcement to be the educator it should be coming top down it should be coming through channels it should be um, dramatically promoted uh, across the area and that's where there's a failure yeah when you look um, you know we have liquor excise tax that goes to the educational component of alcohol to try to curb our issues with DWI related crashes and fatalities. And so they tax alcohol and then they push that money back into an educational component. Well, we're already taxing the sales of marijuana and we haven't seen the, the educational component unfold. And so I'm hoping that that is the state's intention that we can get those same sort of programs going if we're going to tax it. We've got to put some of that money back into the education and enforcement of that particular element. And I don't think the state has enough inspectors. Um, to, to check dispensaries and other things to make sure that we're doing things correctly and in line with the law. Do you see uh, a role for law enforcement 
outside of your regular duties in lobbying for the state basically to do their job. Yeah, uh, the New Mexico Sheriff's Association, which I'm a member of, which um, includes the large majority of the 33 sheriffs in the state of New Mexico, um, those are the things that we meet about and talk about that these things need to be taken to Santa Fe and we need to talk about those issues that we see in our community. Colorado suffered the same issues when they legalized it there that, you know, they, they legalized it, they started receiving a tax base, and then chiefs and sheriffs all over the state were like, hey, we're having an up- uptick in this issue or this issue or this issue. You need to help us. We don't have the resources or the manpower to do this all on our own. We're going to need assistance. This is a whole separate interview, and I know we don't necessarily have time to go into it, but this is definitely something to look at again. Oh, I agree. I understand that you are the son of uh, missionaries who came to the Navajo Nation? That is correct. So uh, we moved here in the in the mid-90s. Um, my parents and I came from Pennsylvania, and my dad came here to be a missionary. He worked out at Western Indian Ministries and assisted with the radio stations that were out there in some capacity for many years. And then my parents opened a, uh, I call it a one-room schoolhouse. Uh, they opened a, a Christian educational center, and they worked that for several years. And just over the last two years, it, that's kind of wound down a little bit, um, just right before COVID is is when the school basically uh, closed down and they decided they were going to do something different. So, yeah. Given that you might see their work as public service and you might see your work as public service, do you see there's a natural pathway that's led you here? Uh, yes. I, I've always had a desire to help people and uh, work in the community. And I've always wanted to make things better. Um, and I think this this is a really great opportunity to make things better, to help improve the quality of life in our community. And my parents have always taught me, um, and I've seen by example, a life of service to others. And I think this is a great opportunity that I think all of these positions are um, public service. That's that's what we're here to do. We're here to work for others. And we're here to help get a job done. So it's not particularly about the power that comes with the position. It's more about the ability to change things and bring some positive light. And it's not that the folks that came before us haven't, it's just an opportunity to pick up and, and keep going. You know, over the last couple of years, we've managed to accomplish a lot of things that were community oriented, and we just want to keep going with those programs. Would you consider yourself more of a top-down manager or a collaborative manager in the sense of listening to input from your officers? That's a really good question. So as you progress through your different leadership roles and some of the classes that I've taken, um, both come into play. Um, since we are structured as law enforcement, you have rank and file and you have a chain of command, you got to follow it up and down. But we've always had an open door policy is if, if guys have ideas or things that they see, um, we want to embrace those ideas. As sheriffs, we, we can't accomplish anything without the men and women that work for us. And so the 32 employees that work and the support staff that we have at the sheriff's office, it wouldn't operate without them. So they are the most important component of any sheriff's office, especially this one. And those folks seem to be dedicated to our communities, dedicated to their jobs. We're not the highest paying place in town. Um, We're not the highest paying job that they could get, but it seems like they're there to serve. Um, And with with that commonality of service, it seems like, like it's a really good team. And I think that's what it is about, the team aspect. Do law enforcement officials in this area, whether county, city, have collaboration with Metro Dispatch other than in the direct role? Oh, sure. So um, Metro Dispatch is a county facility, but it uh, has a joint powers agreement. So it's run by 
the chief of police, the sheriff, uh, New Mexico State Police sits on that. The county has another appointee on that particular board. And so you have all the agencies that they dispatch for kind of controlling all of that. I have a good working relationship with the Metro Dispatch Director, um, and I think that keeps us kind of tied together. So even though we're all county employees, we, we operate under two separate offices. But since they dispatch for, you know, city fire, county fire, city police, county police, um, and, you know, helicopters and ambulances, they've got kind of a vast role that takes up many agencies. And working together can be a challenge, but we have a really good group. We have a good board. We have a good director. And so I think those ties are stronger than they've they've ever been. And I know that there's been discussion over the years about hardening the network um, especially with some of the infrastructure problems we have with, with internet going down and things like that. Uh, that is something that's still being discussed on how to improve th- how that system works when other systems aren't working. Yeah, uh, if you think about the fiber cut that we had not that long ago, you know, it basically crippled you know, the entire town to include dispatch and the ability for law enforcement to work. And so thankfully, you know, we've got radios we can still communicate on, but it is amazing what you cannot do without internet and without phones. So uh, the board that sat over Metro and Metro, the Metro director are working on a redundancy issue um, so that just in case fiber would be cut going one direction, we have a redundant fiber line that could bring in. So our IT director from the county, county management, um, the Metro Dispatch board and the Metro Dispatch director have worked on a plan and I, I think... I don't think I'm wrong on this. I'm pretty sure it's either done or very close to being done to set up with uh, redundancy so that it wouldn't all go down at one time. Yeah, it's a good point. And we we learned some valuable lessons when the fiber line got cut. We have a very diverse community. Anglos are in the minority here. How do you personally feel about uh, being in such a diverse community that you've grown up in? Sure. Yeah. So I've gone to school here since I was in third grade um, and worked in this community and, and understood a lot of things in the last 22 years of law enforcement. The, the diversity is what makes this such a great place. Um, the Navajo Nation culture, uh, the Zuni culture is just amazing. Um, the artifacts that they do, the artwork that they do is incredible to me. And I'm, I'm proud of it. And it's not even my work. You know, it's just it's amazing to watch our ceremonial events and some of the other things that we have, you know, this is the one of the greatest places I've ever been. When you talk about diversity, it, it's interesting because we have jurisdictional issues, you know, with having the Raymond Navajo Reservation, the Zuni Pueblo, and Navajo Nation all within McKinley County, you know, spread out over 5,500 square miles. We have to have good working relationships with all of those different agencies and all of those different folks to work together. Otherwise, you'll see running from one jurisdiction to another or one jurisdiction harboring against another jurisdiction. So we worked really hard over the last 20 years to make those make those avenues smooth so that we can move people from one jurisdiction to another so people don't feel like I can commit a crime here in Gallup and then I can go flee over here and hide here. Um, and the Navajo Nation has been really good at working with us on extraditions for those people who have committed big crimes to help us get them back so that that the victims get their day in court and they can see that through and see that person held accountable for their actions. Do you see continuing or increased collaboration with the different enforcement agencies uh, as we go along, including for special events, public events, you know, obviously um, 
alcoholism played a part in yeah. the ceremonial incident, but uh, you know we have other things like the Red Rock Balloon Fiesta and you know, any public event uh, where security is an issue. Many times private security is used, but do you see that collaboration is important? Oh, absolutely. So we have a good working relationship with both the Yale Police Department and New Mexico State Police. Um, recently, Navajo Nation has Navajo Nation Police Department switched chiefs, and now it's Chief Noon. Um, and we have a good working relationship with Chief Noon. Since he's been in, we've had two or three meetings with him. One of those larger meetings was on school safety um, and talking about, you know, because Gallup-McKinley County Schools has 33 schools countywide, and some of them are on tribal land, and that causes issues with who responds and who handles it. And uh, his folks and us were in a training over the last two days with the schools on their standard response protocol, so we can all be on the same page. We all have the same information, and we all work together well. It's the same with Zuni, um, the chief of Zuni and I. We, we speak often about issues that we're having or ways that we can help each other out. And I think it's going to keep moving in that direction. You know, when we have these big events like you talked about, the ceremonial parade or our rodeos, balloon fiesta, normally you're going to see Gal Police Department, McKinley County Sheriff's Office, New Mexico State Police all working together to make sure that we have enough staff out there. Because none of us individually have enough staff to handle all of this. But collaboratively, like we saw at the parade, you know, that was a very special incident. But there was there was around 60 law enforcement officers at that event. None of us have 60 law enforcement officers. So it took 20 from state, 20 from the city, and 20 from the county to pull off that kind of presence. So, yeah, collaborate and move forward. Well, there is some funding that's uh, presumably going to be made available to increase staffing across the state. Ongoing lobbying, still important to make state leaders aware of the need for increased funding, increased staffing. Yeah, so... One, that's kind of a touchy subject, but two, you're absolutely right. Um, what we're dealing with right now is the entire state of New Mexico is lacking in law enforcement officers. Sheriff's Office is short. Gal Police Department is short. Even New Mexico State Police is, is short on staff. And so although I believe that money is a part of it um, and that having competitive rates and competitive pay is very important, both for our folks for the long term of their life and retirement, the other problem we're seeing is there's not a lot of interest Law enforcement kind of has a bad reputation nationwide, and although our community very much supports its law enforcement, it has been amazing to us, and we have not experienced the same kind of issues the rest of the country is. The youth still have that what they're seeing on social media and what they're seeing on the news uh, that you know no one likes cops. Well, that's not true, and so motivating uh, 18 to 25 year olds to get into a law enforcement career is even more difficult. I, I mean, yes, throwing money at it would be helpful. But I don't think if you threw a huge pot of money at it, you just instantly have a bunch of law enforcement. We've got to be able to get out into the community and educate that it isn't what it's being portrayed as. And it's not that, you know, the, the big fear and the big thing that happened was um, qualified immunity was removed at the state level. And that caused a mass amount of retirements because law enforcement officers who had been in the business for 20 or 30 years, you know, didn't want all of a sudden their personal bank accounts and houses to become a part of a lawsuit and they lose everything that they've worked for. And so they thought that, well, we'll just retire. And although I don't think that that was the truth of the matter, and when you read the bill and you look at it, um, I don't think that's what's going to happen statewide. Um, but we have been talking with the Sheriff's Association that some of those things need to be reviewed, need to be taken back to the Santa Fe level, and we need to work on that so that we have law enforcement. Um, it's, it's a big problem statewide. And surveys are going out or coming in from um, Santa Fe and the governor's office now to talk about staffing. 
um, the back to work law. Um, our retirement company is, is PERA and PERA does not allow for you to retire and then come back to work. And I think a lot of the sheriffs and chiefs want that to be, want that to happen because, you know, we have a civil division and a paper service division. So even though you did 20 years on the street and you're tired of working nights, um, maybe you would be willing to come back and serve paperwork or, you know, provide court security or something like that. That's just kind of a low end Monday through Friday thing. And it, that bill still hasn't been approved yet either. So, you know, we've got all these different facets that we think could help boost our personnel statewide. But it's going to take some movement and it's definitely going to take some time in Santa Fe to get some of those things changed. General election, November 8th, early voting, uh, October 11th through November 5th. Yes, ma'am. Is there anything else that you might like to say before we wrap up? Uh, no, I, I think we've pretty much covered this. I, I appreciate the opportunity for the interview and appreciate the opportunity to, to talk with your listeners. That's, that's always fun. And uh, in my 22 years of law enforcement, I'm starting to learn a lot of new things as we go through this particular process. And that is one, community matters 100%. Partnerships and collaborations matter. There is no room for we don't like so-and-so or we don't like this particular group or we don't like this particular agency. There's just no room for it. With uh, early voting coming up on October 11th, they're going to have a couple of different places. So October 22nd through November 5th, you'll be able to vote at the Rio West Mall, Theroux Fire Station, Crown Point Election Office, Twin Lakes Chapter House, Zuni Tribal Buildings, and Manuelito Chapter House. So they're going to open up those six. So it should be just about the same as the primary was. So if wherever you voted, vote there again. I've been speaking with McKinley County Under Sheriff James Murano, running for the job as sheriff. Thank you again. Thank you.